You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin and JT English. Hey. Hey. Here we go. We got papers. Uh, we got Bibles. Bibles. I was Bibles. totally papers. not even, I was reading something when you started <laughs> Well, that's good. We were prepping. We, we are. Yeah, we're we are, on top. You of should it. see this table right now. There is just full of Bibles. Full of Bibles and notes are laid out, and there's pens. And Jen has her. Can I call them grandma glasses? Uh, oh, <laughs> oh. oh man. you're going to remember those words, Kyle I just, Worley. Uh, well, listen, it's not as if you haven't insulted my hairline enough. All right. <laughs> so, grandma glasses, I think, is fairly tame. Uh, uh, on today's episode, we're in the Apostles' Creed to ask, "What is the church?" So we got JT here eating breakfast. Um, uh, what are you having over there, JT? What did Jen call it? <laughs> it's the mama baby combo. <laughs> what, okay, now what is the mama it's baby like the combo? Most traumatic phrase <laughs> I've ever heard. It's the chicken and egg burrito. Right. So what's the mama and the baby wrapped oh up my. in one tortilla? Oh my gosh. I don't know that Chick-fil-A wants that. <laughs> well, their... you said their name. It's true. It's true. Yeah. So this is JT's having the, and you've got, no, you don't have the sauce layout that you normally do. It's breakfast. I don't okay. eat a lot of sauces. Guys, if you've never been to Chick, have we talked about this on the podcast I before? I don't see how it's we possible we haven't. No. Okay. So JT lays out his Chick-fil-A sauces like a sociopath. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, the mm-hmm. guy literally, he, first off, he is very specific in his allotments. You know, you might go to Chick-fil-A and be like, yeah, I'd like to have the ranch. And they give you like, you know, a few ranch. JT's like, I want one ranch, one barbecue, one bar- <laughs> one buffalo. Like he gives them like if I think if he could give them in like gram amounts, he probably would. And then he's like, and I'd like those fries well done. Yes. But hold on. I, I, I'm like, I'm what's not- a medium rare fry, you weirdo? <laughs> no, 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 no. Hold on. I, I think I have some people who could back me up on this. I don't do it at any other Chick-fil-A yeah, except he- the one that's here. Yeah. Okay. It's they're I'm I'm sorry. I love them, but they're notoriously undercooked. It's like eating a wet potato. And just in their defense, I've been eating there for eons and have never once judged the fries. Yeah. That's ne- because I've got higher standards no, than you, I guess. No, you have more particular preferences. <laughs> you That's, are picky. Uh, you are picky. You guys are mean. And I've never are ordered with you at a restaurant where you did not change what you were ordering. Because you can. If you can, <laughs> if you can do it, why not? Yeah. Yeah. I think, listen, guys, if you need to know everything you need, to, like, if you want a psychological evaluation of JT, just go order with him anywhere. Chick- yeah, but um, mainly Chick-fil-A. But mainly Chick-fil-A. Well, we're here, uh, and we're talking about what is the church today. We're in the Apostles' Creed. Um, hey, just real quickly, because I know we've talked about this before. What are church backgrounds of each of us? We talked about the role of the creed in our yeah. upbringing, but what are our church backgrounds? I, I get this question a lot from listeners of the show. So, Jen? You name it, I've done it. Yeah? Yeah. There. Yeah, but a lot of my most formative memories as a small child were in more liturgical environments. So okay. uh, I remember I have a lot of memories of the Presbyterian Church, a lot of memories of the Methodist Church. So um, the hymns and the creeds are all sort of inside of my... Because you know how like you're better at memorizing things when you're small than when you're big? Yeah. And so... Um, you mean young, not old? Yeah. So I've been uh, Presbyterian, uh, non-denominational Bible church... Southern Baptist, um, then uh, Methodist, and simultaneously going to a Pentecostal church with my mom. So Methodist with my dad, Pentecostal with my mom. Then there was uh, an Episcopalian stint. Mm. um, You'd be a great candidate for president. 
Yeah. Because you can just like roll up and be like, yeah. listen, Pentecostals, I get you. Yeah. You know? There's seven of them. I can't, I've counted it. There's seven. Oh, it became, yeah. So I mean, I've been Southern Baptist several times. Seven. Was there yeah. on purpose like a number yeah, of Yeah, because that's biblical, right? <laughs> and and 10 felt exhausting. So we just stopped at seven. All right. So Gen Z United <laughs> Nations of Church Life. Mm-hmm. What about you? Yeah, mine's much simpler. So I, I didn't, I mean, I kind of grew up, like my parents took me to the Methodist Church occasionally. It was largely social. I was confirmed, but I don't really remember anything. And then I just fell off the map until I came to faith in college. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of just big tent, non-denominational evangelicalism. And I've now found my home in the SPC. Okay. Well, well, I was here the whole time. Oh, Capti Bapti. Just waiting for both of you Never guys. Never left. Just, you know, born in 1988. And you and became was, a Baptist then. He was <laughs> born a Baptist. Is that what you're saying? Born a Baptist. Born a Baptist. See what I, I did just, there? I just want to be really clear. I got there before both of you. Okay? You did, but you so, just said you've always been there. And I think there's a theological problem with that's that. That's a good point. Baptist. I, since Nobody's I, born since, Baptist. Since I have been, okay. I have been there. There was a time when I was not, but from the time that I was until now. I have been among the Baptists. <laughs> he got there as soon as he could. Better as the devil you Texas. know than the devil you don't. And yeah. I have remained there with all the skeletons. Well, um, okay, so <laughs> let's... No, I meant skeletons in the closet, not skeletons people at Baptist churches. That's not a good look. I mean, every denomination has skeletons keep, in the keep closet. Keep talking about it. Yeah, I'm just... Keep, Maybe keep just move on to I'm the get, next I'm point. getting marked off of every list of any potential board from any Southern Baptist institution, but that's probably a grace and a mercy. We're in the Apostles' Creed today. Jen, would you, would you just kick us off with a, a good read-through? Of sure. The Apostles' Creed? The Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. So this is the Apostles' Creed. We've been going through that this season on knowing faith, and today we're looking at the church. So we've talked about God, the Father Almighty. We've talked about God as creator, who Jesus Christ is, what Jesus Christ has done, the significance of his death and resurrection. We had Matt Emerson on to talk about what uh, what it means to say he descended to hell or he descended to the death. That was depths. a great episode. We got this. so much positive feedback on yeah. his, uh, understandably, I thought he was so good. Yes. And so if you did not listen to that episode, highly encouraged to go listen to it. So we've been covering the Apostles' Creed because the Apostles' Creed is a consensus document in the life of the global and historic church. It's considered to be one of the ecumenical creeds, uh, establishing a bare minimum of, of Christian orthodoxy uh, at a strategic time in the life of the church. And so we've been journeying through it. Um, the church that uh, we were a part, we, I was a part of for a number of years, and JT and Jen serve on staff, did a series through the Apostles' mm-hmm. Creed. So it's something that we've spent some time in, and so we wanted to invite the audience into that. And so today we're asking the question, what is a church? So we talk about the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. And so let's just ask the question, what is a church? What is a church? I mean, I've got an answer. I think I have one, but I want to hear yours. You're asking a lot of questions, Kyle. Well, thank you. Um, What is a church? A church is a local expression of uh, the body of Christ. It is, it is local, but also the Apostles' Creed isn't just referring to local. Right? right. Would you want to broaden that? Yeah. So I would often say if you ask me what is a church and what is the church, I would probably distinguish between those two things. Yeah. So what's the church? The church is the communion of saints. It is all believers, past, present, and future, throughout history, and around the globe. 
and around the world. Yeah. And that's technically what the creed is talking about. It is. Yeah. And but I do want to make a distinction in this episode between universal and local church or important. invisible and visible because if you just focus on one of those to the exclusion of the other, your view of the church will be incredibly lopsided. Mm-hmm. Can you just you said visible and invisible. Can mm-hmm. you can you flesh that out for people? What is the invisible church? Yeah, is so that the, like angels? No, that's a great question. So the invisible church would be for example like the apostle Paul currently is not among us. But he is a part of the church, right. right? So that would be part of the invisible church. It would be those saints who have come before would be a part of the invisible church. Um, and I probably would prefer universal and local mm-hmm. more than visible and invisible because visible and invisible implies that it, like there are invisible participants in the church when what we're really saying is that there are people that we cannot see either because they have come before us or they're in a different part of the world or even a different part of the city. Like you and I yes. are part of the same universal church, yep. but not the same local church. Exactly. Exactly. And I think First Corinthians, the intro to First Corinthians actually gets at a good like one sentence perspective of both of these realities, right? That are included in the, the phrase, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. This is what it says. First Corinthians 1 uh, verses, verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. I think right there you get a beautiful picture of both of these two realities. To the church of God that is in Corinth. So Paul is addressing this letter to a church, like a a church, that church is in Corinth. And he says, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. So he's giving them this dynamic in one verse. Here's the local church. It's a church in Corinth, or it's a church in Flower Mound, or a church in Richardson, or a church in, you know, Beijing, or it's a church in Pakistan. It's a local church. But there's also that we're called to be saints together Mm -hmm. with everyone who has called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. That's good. So that's that distinction between the universal and the local church. But the Apostles' Creed, its driving emphasis is the church universal. That's the phrase, holy Catholic Church. I want us to talk about this semantics there because I think for for those who are hesitant about this creed to begin with, if they didn't get derailed at he descended into hell, th- they get to this phrase and they're like, what the what? Like there yeah. and so going back to the principle that a creed by its nature is an exercise in linguistic thrift. That yeah. in other words, every word matters. Why say holy catholic church why not just say church why not just say holy church why not just say catholic like why are each of these words in here um do we have to say that the church is holy wouldn't we just assume that the church is holy because jesus has called the church and so what do you think about that i think holy is a really important modifier i mean it's it's uh it's, it's trying to pick up on this idea that you are a priesthood, a holy nation, a, a people who've been set apart for God. And so one thing that I'd love, love to try to tease out throughout all of these questions in the episode is to try to show, I think this is the place where people can begin to think this is more creed, not as much Bible. Yeah. And I think it's important here to show, like, they're actually just trying to pick up on some really biblical themes about what a church is. So it is holy, it's sanctified, it's set apart, a holy nation, a a set of righteous priests, men and women on mission with God together. It's Catholic because it's universal. That's Mm -hmm. what Catholic means. So if you're -hmm. you're worried about this term Catholic, we are trying to say that we're a part of this universal church that has comprised all all people who've been dwelt by the Holy Spirit and have been a part of Christ's body. So it's this universal communion of saints that isn't just being Baptist or Presbyterian or 
or in a certain region of the world. That's what you were highlighting a yep. minute ago. And it is church. It's uh, it's this group of people, this communion of saints who have been brought together, set apart for God, of which Christ is the head. Yeah. So it's in this in the sense that it's universal because I think that's another word that can be a little cloudy for people. Mm-hmm. What we're saying is it looks over its shoulder at those who've gone before. <clears throat> it looks forward to the hope of those who are coming after. Mm-hmm. It looks around at those that are currently uh, living. Yeah, that's right. And acknowledges that what we see in our <clears throat> local church is a very small glimpse mm-hmm. of the whole of the mm-hmm. church, past, present, and future around the globe. How is that a helpful vantage point for any oh, local gosh. church? Man, that is, I mean, just speaking from a, as a pastor of a local church, it's incredibly helpful on a number of fronts. Let me just give you like some really quick fire practical application. Um, uh, my church doesn't have to be fully representative of every beautiful thing about the kingdom right at any given moment. Why? Because it's not the job of any local church to be representative of all of those things at all the time. It's like, no, there are going to be beautiful representations of following Christ that are in different theological traditions. They're in different denominations that are in different parts of the world. There are going to be elements of our worship that are going to be different because of where we are that are going to be unique in other places as well. And so it, it gives you the freedom to be a local expression without the fear, without the feeling or fear of we've got to be everything all the time. I think that's an incredible thing, a, a gift to any local church is to say you don't have to carry the burden that can only be carried by the whole of the church. Mm-hmm. It frees us up to meaningful partnership because – and I think this is another reason why appealing to a broad base of orthodoxy like the Apostles' Creed – um, means that I can go into our community among sister churches of other denominations and traditions, and I can talk about meaningful partnership with those people as long as they acknowledge Christ as Lord uh, and hold to some bare minimum of orthodoxy like what's represented in the Apostles' Creed. I don't have to ask them to be me, mm-hmm. and they don't have to ask me to be them, and we can still partner together for the worship of Christ and the going forth of his kingdom in our community. That's a, that's a tremendously valuable thing. I agree. So those are just a couple of quick thoughts. So you see a lot of freedom in the concept that it's giving you a lot of leeway to be your own uh, expression. Of well, what... it, it, it's certainly giving freedom, but it's also saying if you're not a part of these things that are, have been universally believed and accepted and trusted by the apostles yeah. and the tradition that they've handed down, then you're actually not a part of the universal right. church. Right. And that holiness is a qualifier for this. That's exactly right. right. Holiness is believing the things that the apostles have taught, believing this creed. Yeah. If you find yourself outside the bounds of those things, then you're not a part of this holy Catholic church. Yeah. So clearly, I mean, the Creed is trying to keep the fence around, you know, what's orthodox. There is inclusion and exclusion. Yes. But I would also, I'm thinking in terms too of that, just as there is a freedom in saying, I don't have to be all things to all people as a local church. There is also, I think, um, I don't want to call it an accountability, but but an awareness or a, a church that is not like me bears witness to things that are beautiful that I should have as a reference point. Yes. So it's not just that we have the freedom to be our own expression. It's that we have the humility to recognize that there are many expressions. Yes. Uh, and that, um, well, I mean, this kind of points to the whole discussion that we have had in the book of Acts about um God not playing favorites, that mm-hmm. there's not a favoritism with the Lord. Right. And so God does not have favorite expressions of the local church. Um, it's the church universal. And it's um, this is the this is probably best described as 
the discussion of there being hands and feet and, and that right. each part of the body has. So you might, you might see that as an expression within an, any individual church that there are hands and feet and yeah. there are eyes and there are um, uh, mouths and all of that, but that within the church universal, there also is that metaphor. Yes. Yeah. I was actually just going to say something similar, same example. I mean, in the local church, we <laughs> love the idea that there's one body, many members. And that's true. There it is. One body, many members. Couldn't get that to come out. No. But but the, the same thing is, if that's true of a local church, then the same is true of the universal church, that there is mm-hmm. one body, a universal church, but many localized members mm-hmm. that are performing a different function. Yep. Kevin Van Hooser, this is kind of a big word, but he has a phrase that I like a lot. He talks about, when he talks about the universal church, that it has a pluriform witness, and it's this idea that there is a plurality of witnesses mm-hmm. that, are, that are witnessing to the uniformity of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and I think it's incredible to see, uh, and a a lot of that is, um, we miss a lot of that because of how kind of myopic our vision is, right? And Mm -hmm. how kind of uh, the the blinders that we have on. So many times, like, for example, one of the things that is just like incredible about the current spread of Anglicanism in in the American North, uh, the American Global West, is that the ACNA, Anglican Church of North America, um, a lot of people don't know that the Anglican Church of North America has really been underneath the leadership and guidance of African bishops. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so like they, they see the spread of something like the ACNA and they're like, wow, that looks incredible. So you might have like an ACNA church in your community and you might not even know that the reason that the ACNA church is able to be what it is at this present moment is because there were a group of faithful African bishops in a different part of the world that you never saw that you never knew who prayed, led, raised up faithful men and provided leadership coverage for that kind of thing. That's a great picture of kind of the unseen dynamics of the universal church that when being faithfully executed under the lordship of Christ in a prayerful way uh, and moved by the spirit lead to really tangible local expressions uh, that we benefit from. And all of our traditions are like that. We have these really long kind of trains, so to speak, that are behind us, that are providing an an engine, a force, movement, um, and much of which we did not sow into. And we're we're reaping the benefits Mm -hmm. of work that had been done, either a church that planted us or a seminary that developed a pastor who eventually went and planted us or whatever the thing might be, that there's this incredible legacy of faith behind us. And it's not all beauty. There's there's a lot of brokenness mm-hmm. there too that comes through, uh, but that this dynamic between the universal and local church, there's a beautiful symbiosis to it. There must be. It's essential. How has globalization and the exchange of ideas that we now are able to have? How has that impacted our understanding of the Holy Catholic Church? Like you just give it. You just gave a description of the influence on Anglicanism yeah. in the states by African bishops. Yeah. 300 years ago, that influence might have been felt, an influence like that might have been felt or expressed, but it would have taken much longer for it to to transfer or, or for us to even have an awareness that that was where the influence is coming from. There is something that happened this past year, and I, I it, this is too short of an example to talk about all the details, but you had... Uh, the Methodist Church gathered together. I think they call it their General Assembly. Yeah. yeah, and they were they were voting on kind of this major idea around kind of a progressive view of sexuality ordination, and and uh, it was actually again the African bishops mm-hmm. who stood up and said, 
wait a second. What, what is happening in the global West related to sexuality is, number one, it's not biblical. We're not on board with it. And you're actually using it as a form of Western supremacy. Mm-hmm. Like your your progressive sexuality is outside the bounds of Scripture, and you forcing us to try to get on board with this and fund it, we're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. And so here you have an example. We often can think of globalization as this idea that we're exporting Western democracy to the world, to the globalized South and East. Mm-hmm. But here we, ha- he had a, a, we had a wonderful example, not related to government or politics or economics or, or culture, but within the church of the global church, much like Kyle's, cr- taking the truths of Christianity and importing them back into the global yeah. West as we've yeah. lost them. We live in a possession and money-obsessed culture, but what does the Bible say about generosity? In his new book, A Short Guide to Gospel Generosity, author Nathan Harris shows us that the answer to our obsession with possessions is turning to the gospel, because only in the gospel can we find the type of life transformation that enables us to turn our focus from ourselves and back to others, to give generously, and to follow in the way of Christ. To learn more about the book, visit GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. That's GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. Have you ever wondered what is God's heart towards you? In this noisy world, God's heart beats hard with love and mercy. But how can God share his heart with us when he doesn't have our attention? You're invited to spend 100 days discovering the beautiful, merciful heart of God with Overflowing Mercies, a new devotional by Craig Allen Cooper. The Lord is not ashamed of you or quick-tempered toward your faults. Each one of your weaknesses, faults, frailties, and failures does more to arouse God's love than to stir up His anger. If you could fathom in some small way how warmly God truly feels about you, the faintest grasp of His immeasurable affection would reduce you to tearful wonder and heartfelt gratitude. As God's mercies are new every single morning, overflowing mercies will continue to be a constant well of refreshing comfort, encouragement, and strength. It's perfect for personal quiet times, family and dinner table devotions, and small groups. Let this devotional help you get intentional, stay connected to God, and continue loving others. Order your copy of Overflowing Mercies, 100 Meditations on the Tender Heart of God today at moodypublishers.com or wherever great books are sold. One of the things that I love, and I'll often say when we recite the Apostles' Creed at Mosaic Church, and we, we do so uh, maybe once a month, it's a part of different liturgical elements that we fold into the service. And as we do so, one of the things that I'll often say is I love reciting the Apostles' Creed because it, typically in the global West, we think that we're the beginning of what's happening, like mm-hmm. our, the beginning right. of our Lord's <laughs> the be- We're the end. Like it's ending. Mm-hmm. The sun is the sun is setting on the church mm-hmm. in the global west, but it did not rise with mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. And that our brothers and sisters in house churches across China, in Pakistan, and in uh, uh, sanctuaries across North Africa, and our brothers and sisters that have remained faithful in Central and Eastern and Western Europe, they have already beat us to the punch. They have already proclaimed the lordship and the goodness of Jesus and the almightiness of God the Father who has created all things, and that we are kind of coming late to the game. Mm-hmm. And that's not just true of our Sunday to Sunday expression. That's true of the history of the church, right? right? That we often think like, yeah, we kind of, we kind of rule the roost on this, but we are the youngest, right? Like we're like, we're the adolescents mm-hmm. in the life of the church. And I think that's an incredibly vital thing for us to understand. Uh, and I think the Apostles' Creed is a historical reminder of that reality. 
And yes, the uh, the idea of the Holy Catholic Church can can seem um, to be something that provides, you know, that is restraining. And we've talked about this in different elements with the creed that it is uh, it is giving us some parameters, like some fencing in. But I think that the Apostles' Creed, when rightly understood, is yes, it is fencing in, but it is fencing in a very large field. Mm-hmm. Like there is room for us to grow and to cross-pollinate and to explore. It's just a very big, expansive space for us to enjoy together. Mm-hmm. So I think that's an incredible part of this. I think one other thing I'd like to explore, if, you, if we can for a second, is is where this line in the creed, like why it's falling where it is. Mm-hmm. Like why was this not further up mm-hmm. in the, the creed? The first thing you why, say. Yeah, or, or maybe the last middle thing or the last say. thing. Mm-hmm. And it's following this this kind of theological narrative that we've seen in the creed so far around the person of Jesus, that he is God's son, that his work, that he came, suffered, crucified, died, buried, resurrected, ascended, will come again to judge living and the dead. And the line right before this is what? We believe in the Holy Spirit. So you have the lordship of Jesus over his church and the giving of the Holy Spirit. So Ephesians is one of my favorite books. It has some beautiful Trinitarian theology. It has some really good just Christology and grace. You think of chapter two that we're saved by grace through faith. But what you see also is this thread of ecclesiology from Paul that I want to just pull out for a second. And often we read Ephesians in an individualistic way, like like it's me. Mm-hmm. But it's all, Paul is talking to church, a church or churches in, in Ephesus. So you think of Ephesians chapter one. It's talking about the lordship of Jesus, he says, and he put all things under his feet, gave him head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So number one, it's highlighting the authority of Jesus, just like the creed just did, that he is the one who is over his church and will come to judge the living and the dead. Then you go a little bit further in Ephesians to chapter two, Paul says, so then you, and he's talking to a church, not just individuals are no longer strangers and aliens, but you're now fellow citizens. It's like yeah. the social economic of the church. You're saints and members of the household of God. So one of Paul's primary metaphors for the church is a household. You're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. I think they're pulling this for the line in the creed. And verse 22, in him, you also were being built together into a dwelling place for God, the Holy Spirit, which we just heard about in the line before in the creed that we believe in the Holy Spirit. And one more, uh, Ephesians chapter four, verses four through seven talking now about the unity of this one holy Catholic church. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to the call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. So if you just look at those three passages we read, first, the Lordship of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. is the one who who is over his church. He's in all and above all and guiding. Like he is head pastor yeah. over the church universal. He is calling us together to build our foundation on the prophets and the apostles. Why? Because we're indwelt by this by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And then what does that result in? This this collective hope in one God, one faith, one baptism, one Lord, and one body, one church. And that's like like Ephesians one, two, and four, what we just read, is this line. Yeah. And so if you're having a hard time wrestling with this line, I just I would say I, I get it because a lot of us have maybe baggage and backgrounds around some of these words, but that's all this line is trying to say. Yeah. We submit to the Lordship of Jesus. We do it together because we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And we follow the teaching of the prophets and the apostles, and we have this commonality and unity. Why? Because we believe in the, in the same God. Yeah. 
So yeah. structurally, we talked a little about the structure of the creed. I, I just went back and was looking at, you know, the version that I had read earlier. And then I pulled up a few others just to kind of see if I was seeing what I thought I was because I hadn't really paid attention to this before. Um, JT, you're probably going to be like, yeah, this no, is obvious. Maybe not. But the way that the the way that the text is aligned, so like the spacing, the indents and everything, you have the I believe statements that are um, left justified, right? So I believe in God, the Father Almighty. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Those are your three left justified statements. And then underneath those, each of those is everything that flows from that statement. And I think what we can forget in reciting the creed is you get to, I believe in the Holy Spirit. It's like, we're almost home, guys. Bring it on home. And then you start reading off sort of the laundry list of, and it sounds like, and these are all the other things I believe in. But looking at the way that it's formatted, it's I believe in the Holy Spirit. And then underneath the category of Holy Spirit, you get Holy Catholic Church, communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, resurrection, life everlasting, that these are flowing out of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit specifically. So as you said, you know, we're one spirit, one baptism. Yep. That's the defining That's right. Factor of this particular portion of the creed is by the Spirit we are one church. Yes, and they're even drawing. All, yeah, that's exactly right. They're doing that intentionally, and they're even drawing yeah. all the way back to uh, one temple. Yeah, right. Yeah. The, which is this biblical theology, not just systematic theology. So mm-hmm. they're intentionally doing mm-hmm. the uh, the systematic term is pneumatology, the mm-hmm. spirit driven right. understanding of what it now means to be a part of a local body and the universal body. Yeah. And, the, and you know, as we've been talking about in Acts, the church is born, the birth scene for the church is, is Pentecost, yeah. the spirit is sent. So it makes it makes sense that you would see the, the, I mean, this is all crafted, not just to teach you what is orthodox, but also to teach biblical theology as yeah. you're moving through. Absolutely. So Holy Catholic Church, and then the communion mm-hmm. of saints. So when we hear this... Um, what is the communion of saints? And how was that? Why does the creed uh, go to the length of distinguishing it uh, from the Holy Catholic Church? So Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. What do you think it's getting at there? I think we could point back to 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 12 to 26, which is this. We've already kind of highlighted this idea a little bit of being one body, many members. And so the communion of saints, one of the things we're recognizing when we join a local church is we're saying a couple of things. We're saying, number one. I don't exist in a relationship with God by myself. Mm-hmm. I'm in need of of other people to help point me to the truthfulness of God, the perfections of God. And we're also saying, not pridefully, but with humility, they need me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? That if you're not there, something's missing. And if they're not there, something's missing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we have this idea of one body, many members, and that God, and again, this is this is a spirit-driven theological idea, has given us gifts, spiritual gifts, the yeah. gifts of of teaching or hospitality or prophecy. Why? So that the church might be built up. So we're thinking about the communion of saints. We're saying this communion that us together were this dwelling place of God yeah. and in need of each other. Yeah. And that, that, um, that there is, I love that idea of the, the need of one another. And that when we gather, we gather as a group of believers uh, and that the centerpiece of that is um, the word and the table. Mm-hmm. That that's that's kind of the means of our fellowship together is the 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 word and the table or the Lord's Supper and that we gather around these elements sharing a table together even though we scatter and I have to say I was reading a study recently and you guys have probably seen this too that now when when we're thinking about just the demographics average church attendance or regular church attendance is uh, uh, when they're kind of doing surveys and data is two times a month 
And that that's a, like that's a, that's considered to be essentially a standard for mm-hmm. if somebody said, yeah, I'm a meaningful part of a local church and I attend the corporate gathering of God's people two times a month, that would constitute average or regular church attendance. You think, wow, what does that mean if 26 out of 52 weeks of the year mm-hmm. people are essentially saying, I don't need the communion of saints? Mm-hmm. I don't, that's a big deal. That's it's half. I mean, I mean, as a pastor, this is something I'm thinking about regularly. Is we have to develop philosophy of ministries and platforms and systems. Like 26 hours a week isn't going to do it, folks. Right? No. Yeah. For like, sure. There's just no way that that if you if you're just gathering with your like if I'm thinking about how do I form somebody, yeah. mm-hmm. I know people who watch 26 hours of Netflix a week. <laughs> right. And so the fact that over the course of the year, They're, I'm responsible and or partially responsible yeah. with others. To form them yeah. in twenty, and the hour is shortened because, of course, there's announcements and there's walking, well, and when you know, it's and when just, you hear twice a month, you're like, oh, well, twice that's two out of four. Mm-hmm. But then when you say <laughs> it's half the year, you're like, well, that's different. Like if I told mm-hmm. you I go to church six months out of the year, and the other six months I don't go, right. you'd be like, that's not enough. Th- that's probably why you'd probably go, why? Yeah. Why and and Hebrews ten um, this idea of communion of saints that let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but uh, encouraging one another and all the more uh, drawing near as we see the day and all the more as you see the day drawing near that we should be gathering together. So I think it's important for us to note that we are always in communion. Mm-hmm. It's just a question of with what or whom. Yeah, that's a good point. And so we're called here to a specific kind of communion, a specific context and a specific um, type. And so I I had a little fun, like I sometimes do, with looking at word definitions Mm -hmm. just to kind of expand understanding. Because when we hear communion, a lot of us think Lord's Supper, right? right? Like we we forget that there's – and many people, I think, actually think in reciting the creed, oh, this means the Lord's Supper. But you look up the word communion and it just means sharing. It means that we believe that there is a sharing that happens among the saints. But if you think about other words that come from that same root, what do you have? You have community. So as you said, the sharing of the table and you have communication, the sharing of the word, uh, that these – these sharing elements are of a specific type for the purpose of formation. And if you look at, you know, like even the statistics that we know are true for the human family. So the, the nuclear family the statistics that show that families that have dinner together at least four times a week, that those children are at a much lower risk of succumbing to the pressures of um, drugs or alcohol or risky behaviors. And then you think about why, because it's formative, Right. right? That communion around the table. I always call the dinner table, the lesser communion. Mm. Um, but, you know, in, in many ways, uh, it can... Would you say pizza's communion? Mm, amen. <laughs> and the mama-baby combo when Ooh. shared with others. Uh, but... We're going to have to edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> um, we understand the importance we of do. communion. Yeah. We just are, are... Our memories start to grow faint when it comes to the communion of the mm. saints, That's which right. is why we. it's good to make repetition of the idea. Yeah. W- one time somebody said they were That's like... That's really good, Jen. Yeah, it is. And I, I think it gets at the, this idea too that we sometimes we'll think about the corporate gathering mm-hmm. as the thing that satiates our desires, mm-hmm. right? So like I, I'll come mm-hmm. on Sunday to have my desire satiated or satisfied, and when it's not, then it was lacking, or mm-hmm. I need to go somewhere else, or I need to go somewhere else. But that's actually not primarily mm-hmm. what the gathering is for. Mm-hmm. The gathering is primarily for forming your desires. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Like so, it's like. Um, it's not. You have people who come. I, there was a funny moment uh, a couple of months ago. A new believer 
said uh, they were. It was a kid, and in the way only a kid can was took communion. It was one of their first times to take communion, and they said, I, "They said, Pastor, I always leave the table hungry." <laughs> and I was like, yes. yes, that's exactly, you know, you're exactly right. Preach. Like you just, that's your tagline for the Lord's Supper is that like, we don't come to the table and go, man, I'm, I'm filled up. We come to the table and remind ourselves it's a, it's a, it's a taste. It's a foretaste of going, okay, now go out into the world and enjoy life with this Jesus Christ, uh, the broken body and the shed blood of Christ. Yeah. Enjoy fellowship with this God who you have been granted access to through That's right. the waters of death and baptism yeah. and the broken body and shed blood of Christ. Jesus doesn't say blessed are those who are full. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Mm, boom. Boom, yeah, boom. I, the Lord's Supper is, a, is an enactment of it that. Is. It's a recognition of that. Um, and again, if, if you're going to church only half of the times you have the opportunity to, is it any wonder that we see risky behaviors happening within the church? Right. Right. Uh, We just, we, I think we underestimate the formative power of those moments. And then because of this mindset that church should conform to my preferences, I think what happens is, and some of this has to do with the loss of liturgy, right? Because when everyone is abiding by a liturgy, and I'm not, I'm not, this is not like a a push for that, but I just want to show one of the things that's happened as a result of a loss of a liturgical structure to worship environments. When you know each week what's going to happen, you know exactly what the rhythm is going to be. You don't come in saying, well, let me see if this meets my preferences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bingo. You know that you are submitting yourself to something that transcends your own preferences. But when uh, you never know what to expect walking into a worship environment, then you're constantly coming to, and I'm gonna, this is going to sound, it's going to come across harder than it should, mm-hmm. but that I, I come to sit in judgment on, on a service that was intended to judge me. Yeah. You're evaluating uh, it the way you would a movie. Yeah, you become, yeah, you become yeah, like yeah. a church, or a, like a church Com- sommelier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're like, mm-hmm. mm, I kind of like this mm-hmm. one. Had a nice fruity bouquet. The, mm-hmm. the message was encouraging. Like, it'd be kind of like if my kid came and sat down at dinner, and after dinner told me what the food lacked instead <laughs> of um, what the, you know, instead of right. recognizing that coming and joining that table and sharing in the conversation was the point, not right. whether the meal met your preferences. Yep. There's an early church father named Cyprian of Carthage. He's a second century church father who was talking about salvation and the reality of the, of the nature of the necessity of the church in the believer's life, mm-hmm. which, is, which is what we've been talking about. Here's his quote. I want to see what you guys think about it. He says, he cannot have God as his father who has not the church mm-hmm. for his mother. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Do you like that quote? I love it. Do you? Yeah. Jen? You know I like it. Well, I, I actually didn't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, the church is the bride of Christ. So wouldn't it be the mother of the children? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like the quote a lot. Mm-hmm. I do too. And that idea of the, the, the church's role is cultivate nurture. Spiritual nourishment. Yes. Spiritual nourishment. I don't Feeding know. That, I don't know that I'm prepared to say that we live in a time of, of a unique, of a, of a heightened um, problem of individualism. Maybe we do. I think we certainly have a heightened awareness of the problem of individualism, but, uh, but, no, I think maybe we do. I mean, because we have so many, at least in Western culture, we have so many choices available to us. We can customize our meal. Like JT can order the meal that JT wants. <laughs> no, I mean, like, go ahead. Let's seriously. I'm going to bring a full circle full with the sauce discussion. Feeling great about uh, this. Imagine if what JT ordered was what the whole table had to eat, right? Like mm-hmm. that would, that might change the way he decides to order the meal. But that's not the time that we live in. Probably we live in not. a time where everyone can get exactly what they want in the way they want it, when they want it. And often, even when we sit down for a meal, none of us are eating the same thing. Yep. And, and so those kinds of things are forming us. Yep. Uh, and, and so our whole notion of communion just period is, is 
shattered right now. Even with the Lord's Supper, what is it doing? We're all taking the same elements. Yep. Uh, unless you're gluten-free, then we do have a little wafer for you over at the yeah. side. Yeah. With a little wink-wink. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we see you. <laughs> we see We're you. We're with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but barring a medical issue, yeah. everyone strives to eat the same thing at the same time. And yeah. it's those, those kinds of things. It's it's an exercise in sameness and sharedness. And, and what a powerful exercise during a time when we're being told that your individuality is the most important thing about you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, man, I love talking about the church. Uh, I got to say, I thought this episode was going to bore me, and I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. Hope our listeners feel the same way. <laughs> They're like, the five people that are with us are like, yeah, okay. This is fine. Uh, for more information, you can look into the show notes in the podcast description. We'd be honored for you to leave us a podcast review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. You can find us online at trainingthechurch.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter by searching Knowing Faith. On our next episode, we're going to look at Acts 11 uh, and wrap up season three's exploration of the first half of Acts. See you next time. Grace and peace.